Well, we are going to finish the chapter 2 of Acts today, which is actually the last part of Peter's sermon. We touched base with it last week. Um, And we talked about how the wind in the room, the wind and the flames, the tongues of flames. And so this, this weekend... This past weekend, Ken and I did a burn at the house, and um, trees, dead trees we'd taken down and were clearing, and it was pretty good size. It was pretty good size. You know, because when you start burning, then you start burning everything, you know. you just like <laughs> And as we sat there and watched it, um, it was just fascinating to me how the... And it wasn't wind, there was a little breeze, it wasn't bad, but uh, just how the energy um, of, the, of the heat in the, in the flames that come up and the trees that were close by, um, not a clo- close enough to burn, they, the, they were being affected by that energy in the, the flames that were going up. And it was just... Just let me see a whole nother side of what we talked about last week with the the wind and the flames and how it spreads and and, and it like laps around these like licking things and I just got the vision of how it could be where from this place at Pentecost in Jerusalem it just God was just going to explode it out, um, wind and fire, and this is very appropriate because this message in this gospel is the only thing that matters in life. This historic event of Jesus Christ, Son of God, coming down in the form of man, died to to satisfy the wrath of God, conquered death by rising again, this is what it's all about. Nothing else matters. So when you have an event, when you have news like that, that is the ultimate importance, you want to get it out. And wind and fire and the power of God, I mean, God's not going to allow this to happen and then just say, okay, well, it's all on you guys to get it out there. If you have some important news, you're going to make sure, like these little flyers here, we have some important things to get out there, don't we? (laughs) We want people to come and study the word of God. And so for Stephanie to put this together and everything, because we want the news to spread, we want it to happen. It's a small picture of what the gospel is, but there's effort involved. And this is God's grand work. So this is God's effort to get it out there. Now, if we go back in our minds, and our imaginations to Acts here, when this was written, well, Luke was reflecting on it, writing it, and what it was like in Jerusalem, filled with Jewish people coming to celebrate Pentecost, knowing that, knowing that this man, Jesus, had, had done these things, these miracles, and whatever, and, and, and now he, he died, and, and he rose, and and it's like they're in almost a numb state. For, for, for hundreds of years, they waited for the Messiah. Ever since Abraham um, 
God made his covenant with Abraham. They had been looking and longing for their Messiah. And so if Peter announcing that this Jesus is the Messiah, that he came from last week in verses 16, 17 and 16 from last week, if we look at that and see, well then, if this is true, if what's going on here is, is this outpouring of the Spirit, then, then does that mean that the Messiah has come? And then does that mean that it could be this Jesus They were totally shocked and disbelief. They were like, you feel like that today sometimes? (laughs) What do we believe? What is going on out there? But this is even more, 100 times more than that. And then there's Peter, who is not very long ago very cowardly, running and hiding and denying Christ and all that kind of stuff. And now he's standing there in front of crowds of thousands of people boldly, proclaiming Jesus, I mean, that's, that's not even a mental disorder to have someone flip like that to that. That is just the power of God. Someone who was cowardly and couldn't say, no, I deny, I don't know him, to this is the Messiah. This is evidence of the power of God that was happening at this time. So let's take a look at this Jesus this Jesus, because this Jesus that came and they were talking about and they were promoting him as the Messiah, this Jesus, he's the bridge between God and man. That's it. He's the bridge. There's no other way over the gulf. He's the bridge. There's that beautiful poster. I don't know if you've seen it um, of deprived man and just the whole burning and just darkness and everything. And, and then there's heaven over there and the bridge is the cross that is laid. Have you seen that poster? And the people are walking across the cross. So Jesus is the bridge between God and man. Verse 22, men of Israel, you Jewish people out there, men of Israel, hear these words. Now they were all kind of talking and everything, and he gets their attention. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man. There you go. Does anything come good out of come out of Nazareth? This, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a man, a man, flesh and blood. We ate with him. We touched him. Attested to you by God, proved to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. That is a loaded verse. Mighty manifestations of God's power, God displayed through Jesus' life. Rising people from the dead, healing the sick, the wounded, the, the paralyzed, and many, 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 many more that aren't recorded in the Gospels. Many things that he did, mighty works, miracles, powerful, supernatural character, characteristics of these works. There's not, no one else was duplicating these things. Mighty works and wonders, wonders, the marveling that takes place in your mind of the person who witnesses a miracle. You see that, and the wonder part is like, in the, like, whoa. Whoa, because you know, magicians, you can always figure out how they do the sleight of the hand, right? 
But when these mighty works were happening and the wonder, the, uh, the effect it had on the people was telling them that this was just, this was supernatural. And signs, signs, because God was intent on using these miraculous works to point to a spiritual truth. Throughout our study of Acts, every time we have wonders, it only occurs with, with signs. Signs and wonders. They go together. Because just to marvel at something, wow, that was really cool trick how you did that. That's really cool. Doesn't affect me any. Walk away. But the signs, the marvelous, the, the miraculous work is connected to a sign. It points to a divine truth, the power, a divine power behind it should lead to faith. So we're going to see that throughout scriptures. And in the study today, it'll come up again, signs and wonders are together. He did these things to point to the spiritual truth, um, divine power of God that pointed to Jesus. And Jesus didn't do them alone. God did them through him. God did these things through him. In your midst, as you yourselves know. Boy, that's point blank. You guys know this. You, you saw it. You know this happened. You know it. You are out without excuse. The fact that God the Father was doing this through Christ is evidence also of, that, of his chosen one as Jesus is a Messiah. This is, my, this, is, this is my sacrifice. This is the sacrificial lamb that I have chosen to come and take away the sins of the world. This is him. And to prove it to you all, I'm going to work miraculous things through him. Because remember Jesus, last year in John, he, he never did anything that the Father didn't tell him to do, not do. Or say anything unless the Father told him to say it. Everything was through him because of the Father working through him. Jesus is God's chosen Messiah, done in their midst. They are without excuse. They knew it. So for them to reject Jesus wasn't because they didn't know. Oh, why didn't you tell me about it? No one's going to die and be at the pearly gates and say, Oh, no one told me about it. Oh, you got to pass. It ain't going to happen. We are all, all of us, are without excuse to make a decision on who this Jesus is. And what we do with this Jesus is the ultimate, the ultimate question. So, if they rejected him, it was because of hatred of him and their love of sin. They didn't want to do it. I mean, they may say, oh, I didn't know, but it's because of the hatred of truth, of God, of righteousness, and their love of sin. How many times did they attempt to kill him? You know, we learned that last year in John, many, many times. So there's our first verse there, focusing on the life of Jesus. He did all of these things. Now, verse 23 talks about the death of Jesus. We got one verse talking about the life of Jesus, and then one verse going to talk about the death of Jesus. 23, this Jesus... This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This very Jesus, who is the bridge between men and God, the one that God honored as Messiah, you rejected him and tried to kill them. See the contrast? God is honoring him, and they're trying to snuff him out. They did snuff him out. And if Jesus was the Messiah... 
they're probably at, well, why did he die? Why was he a victim? Couldn't he just use his power if he was God to come down and do that? The answer to that is this. Jesus was not a victim. Jesus was not a victim. Jesus laid down his life. But they were all for it. They wanted to kill him. They wanted him snuffed out. They were all for that. But they, they thought they did. But Jesus gave up his own life, bent his will to the Father, even to the point of death. He was no victim. And the Old Testament clearly teaches over and over and over. And all these Jews that were gathered there at Pentecost, they knew the Old Testament writings. They knew it was in there. Messiah had to die. If they looked at it carefully, Messiah had to die. So they kind of knew those writings. And it says that he delivered him up. This is the only point in the New Testament where that word, this Jesus, is delivered up. I don't know what King James says, but the term delivered up. Um surrounded and surrendered to their enemies or betrayed. He was betrayed um, by them, delivered up to them, um, delivered up according to the definite plan, delivered over, given up, handed over, surrendered to the enemies, betrayed. The design of God was this. Jesus was betrayed by Judas at the hands of the Jewish leaders, but that was God's design. God had planned that all. God is sovereign. It's hard for us to comprehend that sometimes, isn't it? You know, in Barb's testimony, Barb and Mary this morning, you know, we saw the sovereign hand of God in, in all of that. And, we, and so much is unknown to us. But, but God is outside time, and he's got a plan, a definite plan, predetermined. Predetermined means to mark out with, with a boundary. This is going to happen. God's design has purpose. Jesus was delivered to death because God planned it and ordained it from eternity. The foreknowledge of God, predetermined plan. And this is what Peter's telling them. This Jesus did this. So we've got one verse on the death of Jesus. We've got one verse on the life of, or life of Jesus and one verse on the death of Jesus. The next section here, verses 24 to 32, nine verses on the resurrection. You know why? Because the resurrection is the thing that really matters here. Goes to talk, and God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I love that. It was not possible for God to stay dead. There was a movie out that was God is Dead, wasn't there, a couple years ago? It was not, it's not possible for God to stay dead. God raised him up. This is the climax of redemptive history is the resurrection, truly the proof of his deity. The proof of his deity, they, although all the miraculous things he did, that is a shadow compared to the resurrection of his body That God ex- and the fact that God raised him from the dead is also evidence that God the Father accepted him as the sacrifice. That nothing in Christ, it had to be unblemished because God is a holy God. It had to be a perfect, perfect sacrifice. And there was no wrong in Christ. 
And God accepted that. Remember all the lambs, all the unblemished lambs they were bringing? It had a blemish. They couldn't bring it. That all was foreshadowing what Christ was going to do. The fact that God raised him from the dead is evidence that he accepted that sacrifice. And it's a guarantee of our resurrection also. Israel rejected. It's almost like at verse um, 24 there. Right where that number 24 is, you want to put the word but in there? Because I want to say, but, but God. <laughs> but God raised him up. God raised this Jesus up. He raised him up. He would not abandon his, his, um, his holy one to the grave. And so we see that quote from David when David's saying that all of that. And I don't want to put my time into doing that. We're running a little bit late. The agony, the birth pains, it's temporary pain. The agony of the pains of death is a... Isn't that interesting? We had like a birth this morning too. It's a birth, temporary pains because you can hang in there because you know the joy of a baby that's coming. You know the joy. Hebrews 12 too. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So when Jesus was being crucified, when he was being tortured and all the things that happened to him during that horrible several hours at the hands of man, when he was hung on that cross, he was there not thinking about really what was going on, but the power of the mind to be able to look past that and see the joy, the joy that he knew because he trusted God that all things would be okay. Boy, we sure need an ounce of this when we're going through hard things, don't we? The joy that God's got this and he's going to make all things right, whether in this world or in the next one, I don't know, but he's going to make all things right. That's the joy that we set our our sights on and we focus on. And God's designed for his people to be with him through all eternity. And that's, and that's what it's all about. All eternity with, with God in paradise. So Jesus trusted him to raise him. And he kept his focus on God. We get so distracted. I think Romans 8 talks about those who set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's death and dying. But those who set their minds on the things of the spirit is hope and love and peace. It's a paraphrase by Molly. But anyways, we set our minds on the things of the Spirit with the hope and the, and the promises that are there and the joy that's going to happen. That can get us through things. The mind's a very powerful thing. It can overthink a lot of stuff. Mind over matter. So to see himself, to know that God was going to put him at the right hand, and if God was going to place him at the right hand of the throne in heaven, He knew that God, he could trust God to protect him through the throes of death. David, in verse 29, was confident. Luke says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence, Luke is confident, that David is still dead. But David, therefore, a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn him, David knew that there would be a Messiah that would be, have to be killed but would rise again. David knew, Luke knew, with confidence. 
David in verse 31, Luke says about David, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. So you Jewish people out there, these men of Israel, you know this. David wrote about it. Even David foresaw this and talked about the resurrected Christ, that he would not abandon him to, to Hades. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up. I love that. This Jesus, this Jesus is the one we're talking about here. Four times in this passage, this Jesus, who you know, who you lived with, who you saw, God raised him up. And of that, we are all witnesses. That was the apostles. They all had to be witness to Jesus' life and his resurrection. So, exalted to the place of honor and glory and power, and God promised him the Holy Spirit. That's what the people were witnessing. That's what was going on when they just thought everyone was in this drunken brawl, just having fun and joy. I'm sure it was laughter and gaiety that they were misunderstanding and and the communication that was happening. Absolute proof that this Jesus is the Messiah. Peter is saying here, through the words of Luke, You are without excuse. The verdict is in without a shadow of a doubt. Jesus is a Messiah. And if you don't believe that, you're guilty. And you're all guilty of killing God's chosen one. These words that are pouring forth and how it's going to affect these people is also the evidence of the power of God. Because just to say words are okay. But when it's the words of God that he quoted in Scripture and Peter was empowered to talk about, that's, that's the power of God. That's the power of the presence of God. Now, we're all, when we become Christians, God's Spirit comes in and dwells us. And nothing can take us out of his hand. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We get a new heart, heart of flesh is here, the heart of stone goes away. And we are being transformed in the image of Christ. We are all being sanctified. Praise God, we're his workmanship. You know, we just kind of give him a hard time about it. Sometimes we go along with him sometimes. But he who started a good work will complete it in us. Okay? And I just strung together several verses, not my words, from Scripture. It's the power of that, the power of the Holy Spirit taking his truths and putting them out there. That is a filling of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, I have the Spirit of God in me, but when I'm talking to you, this isn't Molly Gallagher, and I'm not in some kind of a tongue-speaking thing. I'm just speaking the truth of God to you. And God's Spirit in this room is the one who is translating it in an impacting it on your life and giving me the ability to clearly say it, (laughs) speak it, whatever, even with my, whatever, fumbling up. So when they were filled with the Spirit, it is when somebody is on fire for God and is speaking the truth, not just to glorify themselves. That's not filled with the Spirit. It's not, oh, they're speaking in tongues or whatever, and all the attention's on that person. Oh, that's cool. They must be a believer because they're speaking. No, the focus isn't on Christ when it's like that. It's on man. It needs to be on God when someone is filled with the Spirit 
and speaking the truth. And God is empowering that person and the hearers to, to hear. And so what happens here at Pentecost? My word. This is shocking news. But we find out that 3,000 people at least were saved. Let's take a look at that in verse 37. Before I do, though, let me give you your fourth, this Jesus, in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Four times, this Jesus, this Jesus. So now in chapter 37, when they heard this, They were cut to the heart. They were pierced to the heart. And Peter, and said to Peter, this is the million-dollar question, isn't it? What must we do? What shall we do? They realized they had a big problem, didn't they? Pierced to the heart. This is the only place that word is used, pierced, cut to the heart in the New Testament. Suddenly stabbed. It was like a... If it didn't get him before, through Christ's life there and his resurrection and everything that happened, when they were listening to Peter, this Holy Spirit pierced their heart with the truth. A sudden stab of like, oh my gosh, the light bulb went on. What have we done? What have we done? Overcome with grief and guilt. Ugh. Desperate to fix what they had done. They couldn't. They couldn't go back in time. They couldn't correct anything that they had done. They realized the horrific nature of what had happened, overcome with grief and guilt, but they couldn't do anything about it. You know, when I was thinking about that, I thought, that feeling, that thinking, I believe, is a slight hint of what hell is going to be like for people. Because everyone who doesn't accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the only bridge to God, is going to spend eternity in hell knowing, knowing all the things they've done wrong in life, knowing all the ways they offended a holy God, knowing every single one of their sins, and not have anything to do to change it. A horrid, hopeless Grief, that's eternal hell. Wrap your head around that. So this is where they were, feeling like this. What can we do? The conviction of sin is the first step to salvation. If someone doesn't feel that, if someone's just like going to, oh, I'm going to walk forward today because all my friends are going forward and they asked me to come and I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to pray the sinner's prayer and ask Jesus to my heart. If there is no conviction of sin, it's not a true salvation. Because you have to know, you have to realize, pierced to the heart, realize the need for a Savior. You really do. So, they were convicted of sin. They realized the need for a Savior. Zechariah 12 talks about this, verse 10 also referencing back to when the Spirit will be poured out. 12.10, Zechariah. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
a spirit of grace and pleas of mer- for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Zechariah prophesies this, that he will in Jerusalem pour out the spirit of grace and pleads for mercy when they look and realize, when they see Jesus accurately, this Jesus, when they realize who this Jesus is and they contemplate it, that they pierced him, they will mourn. Zechariah goes on in chapter 13, verse 1, to say, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanliness. See, when you're convicted, God has the answer for it. They don't have the answer for it. Man doesn't have the answer for it, but God has the answer for it. A genuine conviction of sin is produced by the Spirit of God in conjunction with the Word of God. A genuine conviction of sin is produced by the Spirit of God in conjunction with the Word of God. How will they know if they don't hear the gospel? And we don't know who God's going to call. We don't know who's. We don't know. We just put it out there. It's God's Spirit. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's the sword of the spirit. That's the word of God that cuts through something. How many non-believers can read this and it's just foolishness to them, right? But it's the spirit of God that opens it up to people. So, what should we do? What are they going to do? What, how? Tell us, Peter, what should we do? The only correct answer is to repent. True repentance involves more than just the fear of the consequences. Boy, I did this wrong, and I better, I'm going to get in so much trouble. If I don't repent of this, I got found out and repent. Or else, if I don't, something bad's going to happen. True repentance is more than just the fear of the consequences. A true repentance is a need and a realization of a hate for sin. To realize that sin, what it is, it's an affront to God. Sin is evil. Sin is everything opposed to God. God hates sin. We're to love the things God loves and hate what God hates. So repentance is a realization of man. I just, I'm just a sinner. And there's nothing good in me. No matter how I try, I keep slitting back, and I just, it's just a humbling place to be. So repent and be baptized. A public confession, a break from the old life and identified with Jesus Christ. Now, for those people in, in Jerusalem that day at Pentecost when they were hearing Peter, for them to take that, I mean, they can give it lip service, but for them to take a publicly, public stance to go down to that river and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and go against all their Jewish heritage, all what the Pharisees were talking about, everything like that was a bold thing for them to do. They are saying, I publicly confess, I identify with Jesus Christ. And if we can't do that, then you wonder, maybe it's not true. Because you who will, if you 
deny me in front of man, I will deny you in front of the Father. It's not a true confession then. So, do you have to be baptized to be saved? No, you do not have to be baptized to be saved. You might not have the opportunity to be baptized. You get saved. It's a done deal. But it's a commandment, just like it's a commandment not to lie, not to steal, not to have adultery, commandment to be baptized also as evidence. And it's a bold thing for those of you who have been baptized, especially the older you get, to be baptized. Right, Alyssa? We were at Alyssa's baptism. Um, It's a public confession, breaking with the old life and identifying with Jesus Christ. So what was the results of all of this? They received two things, two wonderful things. They received salvation, and they received the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And what did God do? What else happened there in verse 41? So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Just think what that river must look like. 3,000 people, that's a lot of people. They started out with about 120 in that little upper room. I know, it's exciting, isn't it? (laughs) 3,000 people. The power of the presence of God was starting to spread like a wildfire. And this is what we're seeing. The fire and the wind was starting to spread the gospel throughout the world. 3,000 were saved. Well, let's finish it up by just looking at what this church looked like, because this the church begins now. What did, what did it look like? Verses 42 to 47 to the end here. This is the fellowship of the believers. This is like the first fellowship. This is the church, um, you know, the birth of the church here. Well, there's three things we can pull out. Their duties, their character, and the impact that they had. 3,000 new believers And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That, pretty much in that verse 42, is what their duties were. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted themselves to the word of God. Devoted themselves to this. Teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. The mark... Um, of a genuine salvation, being, being baptized, but the mark of a genuine salvation is abiding in Christ. The true branch abides in the vine. It stays and it stays connected to the vine. Okay? It's going to study God's word. Bible study. I don't know how many churches do Bible study. I mean, I don't know how many people on their own study the word of God. I know for me, I need to have you guys. <laughs> I need to have you guys to be accountable. I mean, yeah, I would, but Satan just kind of creeps up in there and isolates us out and everything. But to be in a group of accountability, and the other thing is it's so much fun to study with other people. I, I look at it like this. This book is so rich, and there's so much into it. It's just, it's just so active and alive. I've used this analogy before. If we were to all pile on a bus and go to uh, Dollywood, and if we had one hour to explore Dollywood and then get back on the bus, we would all spread out. We'd all go to different places in the park. I'd go and get that bread. That's probably the place. (laughs) 
get in line there to get the bread. But we would all go to our different places, right? See the eagles. I like, I like the eagles and whatever. And you guys probably do whatever you do, roller coasters and whatever. One hour. And then we're back on the bus. And then we're, because we couldn't all experience Dollywood in one hour, we were, had to depend on what the other people were telling about. And I'll sit there and eat my bread in front of you and wave it into your nose and say, this was so good. I might, I might share it. But we are sharing our experience of what it was like. That's like the word of God. He's going to, God's spirit's going to speak to us differently. Not in a commentary. Commentaries are okay, but you, when you break it open, you've got your own experience that is rich to share with your core group. This is what happened. This is, this is what's going on with me with this verse. And it just it enhances the rest of us to hear the stories and to be able to share our story. Okay? It's abiding in his word, in his truth, because if there isn't a desire to get into this word... Then we got to look at 1 John 2:19. 1 John 2:19. I'll start at 18. Children, it is the last hour and as you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that is the last hour. We're in the last hour. I don't know how long this hour is going to be, but we're in the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. So that some of the believers, some of the people who were fellowshipping with them in the church didn't stay around. They fell away. We talked about the apostasy and the truth falling away, falling away from the truth. But they went out from the fellowship. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might become plain, that might become plain that they were never of us. If they cannot, if you can't stick in this word and study the word of God, because if you're not a believer, this is offensive. We don't want to hear about it. We're not going to understand it. We're not going to, we're not going to get it. And, and there's no connection. But if we're a true believer, this is going to connect us, right? So they were devoted um, to studying the apostles' teachings, fellowshipping, breaking bread together and pray together. They just, they just liked each other and they liked to be with this, each other. Um, they had meals together and they prayed for each other. Okay, verse 43 to 47a, it was a spiritual church. It says that they were in 43, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs. There it is again. Signs and wonders are connected again. So it was a church that was like, whoa, did that happen? Wow, look what happened there. Did God do that? Wow, signs and wonders, you know. <laughs> I kind of joke, or I don't know. We, we should always be amazed, but then when you get to be 60-something years old and you, you hear these stories that God does, it's like, why should I be surprised? I should expect it. <laughs> but it is pretty amazing the things that he does, isn't it? And how he orchestrates things. And he's always just, we always just marvel at it, who he is. I mean, I'll pick up a leaf that's, that's a maple, one of the first ones that's, that's red, and just look at it. And you just look at how it's, I don't know. There's, there's a name to the symmetrical thing in nature. Somebody told me it, and I wrote it down. I haven't looked it up yet. And how there's a balance in nature. And it's just an awesome thing to see how a sunflower kind of goes together. Or see a spider web with the glittering things on it. It's like, wow, I know God has spiders do this, but wow, look at that. Signs and wonders. But things were happening in the church, and the people were sharing these things. They were an awe-inspiring church. 
They were a sharing church. They were selling everything in common, and they were coming together at community. No one had possessions of anything. It was a sharing church. It wasn't a greedy church. It wasn't, this is my stuff, this is your stuff. It wasn't a, a um, socially um, cast time where, you know, they've got that. Or, you know, it's like, you know, come on, this is God gave me this realization that God gives us all good things, and it's really not ours anyways, so we're going to share it with his people. Sharing, all things in common, immense generosity, immense generosity, sacrificial love, coming together with one mind, and they were going to the temple. They were going to the temple, and they were in homes, which is interesting because they, they were going to the temple so everyone around would knew that they still were a worshiper of the one true God, and they would do that. And then they would go home, and they would break bread together, and they would fellowship. But they publicly identified also with going to the temple. Fellowship, sharing church, a joyful church, says in 46b. They were filled, um, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Having favor with all the people. Everyone who witnessed what was going on said, wow, look at those Christians. Look at those Christ followers. Look at those followers of the way. Look at them. They're just always so happy. Gosh, I want what they have. That's the witness. John thirteen thirty five song we sang, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then the final thing is, we've got they had the duties that they did, the character that they had, awe-inspiring, sharing, joyful, They were an attractive church. People were coming and wanting to be a part of that and were saved. And finally, it was a growing church because the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That was the impact of the church. That is our role model for church. Kind of laid out, right? Yeah, without excuse. What are we supposed to do when we get together? Do we do a show? Do we do, what do we do? No. We do here. We look on Acts and find out what we need to do and get into the Word. I'm so thankful that we have this Bible study. I'm so thankful it survived through. Get your little invitations. Invite more people to come. They're out there. They're out there. God, thank you that you've given us your Word and that you've given us your Spirit to help us to understand. Give us the boldness to live this out. Give us the boldness to speak about you. Give us the boldness to invite others to come to our church, to this Bible study, to our homes, to fellowship. We just are, it's an urgency in the air, God. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.